there's a lot of, uh, you know, th- this is the intro chapter, right? It's titled Performing Theory um, with a with a question mark. I, I got to say, I hate a question mark in a title, uh, mm-hmm. but it's called Performing Theory. Uh, and so th- this is really kind of laying down a lot of the the foundations of the book, right? Like it's kind of giving it's a it's you know it's the intro chapter. It's it's a, it's establishing what the book is is going to be looking at and establishing some of the major themes and concepts that are going to be driving us forward. So you know I don't think we need to spend a ton of time recapping everything in this chapter. Although there is a lot of interesting little tidbits, um, we can kind of. We can kind of go high level. Yeah, I want to. I want to reserve some of our extra long episodes for some of the much meatier chapters as we get into the book. But one, I think one of the things that you know, Ed, you mentioned the the you know 1987 uh, you know mini you know, crash that happened that almost turned into a depression and. You know, I think one of the really interesting things here is the way that like this 1987 crash, which you're right. Like I didn't know about that either. Right. Like, like, because I think we don't know about it because it was uh, averted. Right. It, like we, I, I think we came up right on the brink of a, of what, you know, some, you know, uh, you know, fed reserve chairman, you know, director or, or a high up guy, you know, Leo Melamed at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, as well as, you know, a lot of uh, big banks, like a lot of these people, you know, uh, at the time were very worried that we were on the, that the economy, the American economy was on a, a brink of another big crash. And by extension, the global economy, uh, a, a depression level crash, as they, as they say. Um, and, and so it was averted, but Averted because of, as you know, McKinsey, a uh, uh, inveterate sociologist, you know, points out, essentially just the 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 interpersonal work of people at the top of the financial sector, kind of you know, leaning on each other, uh, making handshake uh, agreements, verbal agreements over the phone to essentially uh, ensure that a depression doesn't happen. Like you know, not nothing more complex. Uh, than that, than just, you know, essentially what we're doing right now. Uh, a few people talking to each other and being like, are you good for that money that you owe me? Yeah, I'm good. Well, I don't know if I'm good, you man. I got really go to really want to cause a depression, do you, Jason? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, so uh, I'll, I'll provide a little background. So the 1987 crash is essentially, um, you know, the, in, in October of 1987, the Dow Jones Industrial Average plummeted 22% uh, in a day. At that same day, the S&P 500 index lost about 20%. Um, but the real kicker here, and this is where we start getting into the kind of financialization of the economy and these like real systemic ripple effects that these uh, different financial instruments can and, uh, can have, you know, so... Dow Jones goes down 22%. S&P 500 is 20%. But the futures on the S&P 500, and we'll get, as we go through the book, we'll get into details around things like what are options, what are futures contracts and stuff like that. You know, we've talked about it on TMK, but this book also is a real, will provide a really nice 
kind of primer on a lot of that stuff as well, because it's really crucial to the book's uh, analysis and story. So, so the futures on the S&P 500, which were traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the, the CME uh, is a very uh, important uh, you know, financial exchange um, where that's essentially where like futures and derivatives, uh, especially on commodities, you know, grain in particular, uh, that's, that's where those things are traded. And so, you know, the, the, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, or as it's called the Merck, uh, will be a very important institution to, uh, this book, you know, we, and, and something beyond what we normally think of when we think about, you know, the big exchanges, which, you know, like the New York Stock Exchange, right? Instead, this is an exchange where, you know, commodity futures, uh, and options and these kinds of financial instruments are, are traded. So, you know, the, the futures of the S&P 500 that were traded on the Merck, um, and should have moved in tandem with the index. So if the S&P 500 dips 20%, then the futures on the S&P 500 should also dip 20%. But instead they had, uh, what's called disconnected and they fell 29%, right? And so now there's a 9% gap between, uh, you know, the, the futures contracts and the S&P 500. And so what that means is a lot of people owe, uh, some, a lot of people owe a lot of other people a lot of fucking money, uh, is what that means, right? Uh, and so, you know, to, to, uh, quote from the book here, well, Alan Greenspan, who is the, you know, Fed Reserve Chairman at the time, wanted to know from Leo Melamed, the, uh, director of, of the Mercantile Exchange, was whether the Mercantile Exchange would be able to open the following morning. Melamed was not able to promise that it would. Every evening after a futures exchange, such as the Merck, closes, the process of clearing is undertaken. Those whose trading positions have lost money must transfer cash or collateral to the exchange's clearinghouse for deposit into the accounts of those whose positions have gained. After a normal day on the Merck in the late 1980s, $120 $120 million would exchange at the end of the day in, in the, during the clearing period. On the evening of October 19th, when this crash happened, those who had bought S&P, uh, S&P futures contracts owed those who had sold such contracts 20 times that amount. So from a normal day of $120 million, on this day, it was $2.5 billion dollars needed to be transferred from people who had who owed other people money that's a problem right because now a, a tiny problem that's a lot of money that needs to overnight be transferred from account from some accounts to other accounts right like this is not like Ed, man, like you owe me $2.5 billion, but like, I know you're good for it. So just get at me when you're, when you're available. You know, <laughs> it's like, Ed, man, you owe me $2.5 billion. And if you don't give that to me, uh, and it's 5 p.m., if you don't give that to me before 7 a.m. tomorrow, the entire economy is going to crash into a depression. You good? You good? How oh, yeah, Hell oh, yeah. That's the problem here, right? What we hear, what we see here is across the U.S., you know, a, a huge unknown number of these security trading firms um, were close to failure, right? They're carrying massive 
heavy losses all of a sudden because yes, the economy, the, the index has crashed. Um, but also because of this massive disconnect in the futures contracts. And so, uh, you know, the, the, all those trading firms that owed money, you know, their banks, uh, fearing that the firms would go bankrupt were refusing to extend credit to see them through the crisis, right? So like, you know, these, these trading firms are facing heavy losses. So, and they don't have that money laying around. They need to go get money from somewhere else. Uh, that means going to the, to their banks and saying, can I please have a hundred million dollars to cover my, uh, sudden one day losses on S and P futures contracts? And the bank is like, uh, the fuck you can, uh, because you are not going to pay us that hundred million dollars back. You are going to pay your debt and then go bankrupt. 